like to invite you all this morning to take your copy of God's Word, your tablet, your cell phone, whatever you have the Word of God written on, and I want you to join me in turning today to the Old Testament book of Ezra. Ezra chapter 7 is where we'll be for our study today, and if you've been over the last few weeks, you know that we've been involved in a study that we've just called By the Book. It's been a study from the Bible, about the Bible, and uh, we're going to finish that study today. Now, to this point in our series, really, we've had several messages, and all of them have had the same general big idea. We've kind of hit the same thought from different angles. We've come to understand that God's Word is true, it's for everyone, it touches on every area of our lives, and that when applied, God's Word will change us. It changes our lives for the better. Now, I've invested three weeks, hopefully, uh, leading you to a place where you understand what God's Word is, where it came from, uh, what, what all of that means, and understanding that it's true, it's true for you, and that it touches every area of your life. And, and I hope if you've been invested in this study that there's kind of a growing hunger, uh, maybe even a holy agitation that would lead us to wonder if God's word is true, and I know it is, and if it's for me, and I know it is, and if applied to my life, it'll change things for the better, and it will, how can I actually get in the word of God in a way that would allow me to glean personally that which I need to know from God? Today, we're going to meet a man who did just that. I'm all for times of teaching and preaching. We must have that. But if we're not daily feeders on the Word of God, we'll be missing something very, very important. And, we, and so we'll meet a man today in Scripture that, that understood what it was to learn the Word of God and to live it out in his life. He, he, he personally immersed himself in the Bible, and what he learned was so powerful, he found that not only was his life changed, but his changed life became a source that touched and led to the lives of other people being changed. He just had to share with others what he had learned. And so for the man we'll meet today named Ezra, the Bible changed everything. Uh, we've been a little bit up and down today, but if you have it in you and you're able, I'd like to invite you to join me in standing one more time out of respect for the reading of God's Word, Ezra chapter 7. And I'm going to be reading just a couple verses today. Ezra chapter 7, beginning in verse 9. The Bible says, for upon the first day of the month began he to go up from Babylon, and on the first day of the fifth month came he to Jerusalem according to the good hand of his God upon him. Now I want you to take note of the Bible mentioning there of this man Ezra that he had God's hand on his life. Verse 10, for Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it, and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. I want to take note of the expression found in the midst of verse 10. Seek the law of the Lord. Seek the law of the Lord. Our Father, again, we come and we humble ourselves before you and readily admit and acknowledge our need for you. And Lord, we come now to your word, understanding that it contains that which we need to know and we need your Work in our lives to help us understand and learn and retain and obey. And, and so, Lord, we come to you today as needy people acknowledging your goodness and recognizing your desire for us to seek the law of the Lord. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. There's really no other way to say it. Ezra was a blessed man. 
and he lived a blessed life. Now, I, I want you to understand this point. I don't mean by that that Ezra had no problems, no adversity, no difficulty. Ezra had all of those things. But what we find is a man who had God's hand on his life, and what he did prospered, and where he went, blessings seemed to follow. Ezra, we know, was born into a life of captivity in the foreign nation of Babylon. And, and even living in captivity in a foreign country, we know that God blessed him there. And Ezra was not a, a greedy man, as we've talked about earlier in this service. He was a generous man, and he had a heart for other people. And that heart for other people led him one day to an appointment with the leader of Babylon, a man by the name of Artaxerxes, where he shared with the king his heart for the people of Israel, the Jewish people, and his desire to be a help and a blessing to them and even their homeland. And, and in that meeting, listen, he was blessed of God. He met with the king, and yet it was God that moved the heart of the king. And so the king did not just give Ezra permission to go back to the, his homeland. He, he sent him with four tons of gold and 25 tons of silver and 2,000 of Ezra's best friends to make the trip and do the work that needed to be done on the other side. And once in Israel, he provided incredible leadership that helped an entire group of people that were left there kind of forging and making a way as best they could. Now, we could wonder, how did one person make such a difference? How did one person make such an, an incredible impact? Well, in verse 9, the Bible tells us how this was done. As we read in verse 9, the Bible shared, the good hand of his God was upon him. It, it was not the power of Ezra, nor the intellect of Ezra. It was a man who was yielded to God. It was the hand of God upon his life. And so that is how it all happened. But then we need to ask the question, well, how did he get God's hand on his life? In verse 10, we find the answer to that. The Bible says, For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord, and to do it, and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. You see, with Ezra's life serving as a great example of a life lived in and by and for the Word, we see how our approach to the Bible can not only lead to the good hand of God on our lives, but also we see how our lives can be a blessing to others. So as we look to this passage today, several thoughts come to the surface. Here's the first thought I'd like to encourage you to make a mental note of or to write down in your note page. Number one, I want you to see the process is to seek the law. The process is to seek the law. Now, we see an impact of God's hand on Ezra's life, and we've seen how it all happened in verse 10, for the Bible says that Ezra prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord. Now, the law, as we've seen throughout this study, the, the law is just another word that speaks of God's word. It's, it's synonymous with the word of God. In fact, in the end of verse 10, the Bible speaks of statutes and judgments, and all of that was pointing back to the word of God. And so Ezra prepared his heart to seek to know the word of God he he prepared his heart now how many of you would imagine today I want you to cooperate for a moment if you're glad you're here say amen again amen. all right work with me today how many of you would imagine that I'm a pretty massive advocate of people reading the word of God can you indicate by a raised hand good thank you for voting and participating and uh, if you think I'm a fan of people reading the word of God you're exactly right you're exactly right I think it's a good thing to read the word of God but what I have to get across to you today, what I desperately desire for you to understand today, is that God's word was not written to be read. It wasn't written to be read. 
Now, I know that sounds strange, but let me develop this thought, and I think you'll see that what I'm saying here is true. From time to time, people will tell me, you know, Pastor, the Bible is hard to understand. And really, I want you to know the vast majority of the Bible is actually pretty simple to comprehend. But there are those areas. I get it. I'm a pastor, and there are parts of God's Word that still I find difficult to comprehend and and understand. And, And often what we mean when we say that the Bible is hard to understand, what we mean is we come across words or we come across concepts that take time to really ingest to the point of comprehension. The point here is, is that sometimes we need to read the Bible, but what we must do is what Ezra did, we must seek. We must seek the law of God. Seek the law of God. As I read the Bible and find the various commands for us to get into it, it's not the word read I find over and over. It's words like seek. Jesus said it this way in John chapter 5. He said, search the scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. Ezra had God's hand on his life, and and he was seeking the law. And Jesus here tells us to search the scriptures. Let me share with you how Solomon put it in Proverbs 2, uh, in verses 2 through 5. Speaking of wisdom, ultimately, which comes from God, he said, So that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom, and apply thine heart to understanding. Yea, if thou criest after knowledge, and liftest up thy voice for understanding if thou seekest her as silver and searchest for her as for hid treasures then shalt thou understand the fear of the lord and find the knowledge of god i'm a massive advocate of reading god's word but friends i want you to know we need to seek it and we need to search it like we're looking for hid treasure we need to dive into god's word read to the point of misunderstanding and say i'm going to park right here and say god can you help me to learn what it is you're saying to me now Stories told of a young man years ago walked into a telegraph office. He'd received a, an advertisement that they were hiring. He needed a job. He saw the advertisement. He ran to the office, and to his disappointment as he walked in, uh, the lobby in the small reception area was already filled with people who were there for the same position. He looked at the desk where the receptionist would ordinarily sit, and the receptionist was not there, but there were some instructions that said, fill out this application, place it in the tray, and wait for your name to be called. He thought, oh man, all these people came in before me. So he did what he was told. He filled out the application. He put it in the tray. He sat down. And as he sat there, he saw other people in the waiting room. He saw people uh, who were working there, walking around, talking with one another. He saw all of that. And as he sat there, really, for just a few minutes, he got up and walked into the back. And everyone in the lobby is thinking, where, where is he going and what is he doing? He's the last man to walk in the room. He just got up and he walked into the back. And a few minutes later, he walked back out with a guy that appeared to be a boss. And the man that he walked out with told everybody in the waiting room, hey, you all can go home. We, we just hired this guy. He's the one we have hired today. Well, people in the waiting room were not pleased with that. And one of the guys said, wait, he was the last guy to come in and you never called his name even. He just got up and walked back there. And, and the boss began to explain to all of those in the waiting room. He said, you know, as you were sitting here, if you were listening to the sound of the telegraph that was, that was being heard, you would realize it was saying, if you can understand this, come to the back for your interview now. All of those people were in that office. All of those people could hear the same things. But the difference was made in the life of the one who understood what he was 
hearing. I'm all for Christians reading a large section of Scripture, obviously, of course. But I think it would be much better if we read until we came to something we didn't understand. And said, why don't I stop here for a while? Why don't I dig deeper here? Why don't I seek the law of God? Why don't I search right here for a while? Wouldn't it be wonderful if we spent the time needed to gain the answers needed there? Now, this is done in a variety of ways. I think it's so important that as we study the Bible that we ask questions of the Bible. We ask questions in Bible study like this. I know God inspired the Bible, but who did he use, humanly speaking, to write this passage? Who wrote this passage? To whom were they writing? What was the occasion? What was going on as, as this was being written? You see, questions like this open us up to the deeper understanding of a passage. And then also, in addition to asking questions to, uh, of the passage itself, it's great to just ask questions in general. I ask questions of books all the time. I ask questions of other Christians who've maybe studied a passage of Scripture. I think it's a good habit as a person of faith to be faithful to Sunday services. I think that's a great thing to do. I think it's great to be a part of a, of a small group that we have throughout the week because things are touched on at all times. It's a great venue, a great opportunity to say, you know, I've been thinking on something. I read this. I didn't quite understand it. Have you thought of this? And, and I'm saying that as we search, as we seek, as we dive into the Word, we're going to find that we come to understand understand it more and it grows in our hearts as joshua was commanded by the lord he, he he had this in joshua 1 and verse 8 he was commanded this way this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth but thou shalt read therein day and night no that's not what it says that was implied the text says thou shalt meditate therein day and night that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous and then thou shalt have good success. A lot of people today talk about being prosperous and, and, and being successful and I want you to know there is a premise to that promise. It's meditating in the word of God. Catch this with a mindset to do that which you've learned. The Bible teaches us that when we condescend, we come down, we yield ourselves to God, and we get in the Word and say, God, I'm not just passively, uh, nonchalantly approaching the Bible. I want to seek, I want to search, I want to study what's going to happen is we're going to learn that which God would have us to do. We're going to come to understand that He can make us prosper in ways that we wouldn't even have imagined, and that He can allow us to be successful from His perspective. Not always the way our world looks at things, but we'll live the life God has for us to the fullest you see Ezra was a student of the word and he in a sense was following the teaching that would come much later through the Apostle Paul who who had this to say study to show thyself approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed but rightly dividing the word of truth oh friends I hope you read the word of God but maybe we could be like Ezra and seek it. Maybe we could take the teaching of Jesus when he told us to search. Maybe we can be like Solomon that said it's kind of like going on a treasure hunt. Maybe we can heed the teaching of the Apostle Paul who said when it comes to the Bible, study it. Study it. The Bible was not written to be read. It was written to be studied. That leads to the second thought I'll share with you today. The purpose is to submit to the Lord. To submit to the Lord. Now, the next phrase in this verse is so important. 
we read, for Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord, but, but it goes on to say this, and to do it. His intention all along was to discover what God had said so that he could do what God had said. Clearly, we're to read the Bible, we're to study the Bible, we've covered that. But if we do so simply to gain knowledge about the Bible, we've missed the point. You see, the purpose is to gain the interpretation of a text. And the purpose of gaining the interpretation is so that we can make an application to our lives from the interpretation. As application is made, we then can have the joy as we live the truth out of seeing transformation take place in our lives. You see, it wasn't just a curiosity that led Ezra to the Word of God. It was a passionate desire to say, God, whatever you say in here, I've predetermined whatever you teach me. That's what I want to do, to do. Well-known Christian author Josh McDowell told a story that I thought was applicable to what we're talking about today. It was a story of a prince who was said to be an heir to the Spanish throne, and he was sentenced to solitary confinement, unrest in the kingdom, he was placed in a prison in Madrid they called the Place of the Skull, and, and the prince was given just one book to read, one book. And the book they gave him was the Bible. And so that one book he received was the only book he read for the next 33 years before he died in prison. He read the Bible over and over and over and over and over again, immersed himself in Scripture. When they came to clean out his cell after he had died, they found some notes that he had written on the walls using a little nail. He kind of used his walls as a, as a big chalkboard. And, and here were some of the, the things that were written on his prison cell. Psalm 118.8 is the middle verse of the Bible. In another place it said, Ezra 7.21 contains all the letters of the alphabet except the letter J. In another spot, he wrote the ninth verse of the eighth chapter of Esther is the longest verse in the Bible. Somewhere else, he wrote, no word or name of more than six syllables can be found in the Bible. As Josh shares this story, he went on to share of psychologist Scott Udell, who studied this situation and and in, in psychology today he wrote, he wrote this he, he noted of the oddity of an individual who spent 33 years of his life studying what some have described as the greatest book of all time yet could only glean trivia he said from what we know he never made a spiritual commitment to christ but he became an expert on bible trivia friends let me tell you something uh, our purpose in all of this isn't just to gain trivia it's to say god what are you saying so that i may do i may follow i may obey i think of the way david spoke of god's word at work in his life in psalm 119 verse 105 he said thy word it's a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path david said let me tell you how i view god's word it's a it's a light that gives me direction it tells me where to go and wisdom is found in following that path that god reveals to us through his word we are to study with a commitment to obey if we're still friends say amen, amen. one point left that all could change all right let's get into the third point together the product, we've seen the process and the purpose. Let's see the product here. It, it is to share what we've learned. To share what we've learned. 
Now, the final statement in this verse says this, and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. In other words, Ezra shared the good that he gained from the word of God. He shared it. Now, most would read a book in the hope that some knowledge would come. That's a good thing. I'm not against knowledge. It always aggravates me when they say, Christians, we don't believe in science. Are you kidding? Uh, listen, I'm a big fan of, of knowledge. I don't believe in false science. I, I believe uh, uh, God is the creator, but, but I, have, I have no problem with knowledge and learning. I'm not intimidated by knowledge. I'm not intimidated by education. I have a little bit myself. I, I might get more at some point. I'm not against knowledge today. I want you to understand that. But knowledge alone can carry some, some real downsides. Let me share with you what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 8. He said, knowledge puffs up. Puffs up. But charity edifieth. Knowledge simply for the purpose of feeling superior to someone else is pretty vain and empty. Now, I don't want to pick on any one group, but I'm going to do it right now just for fun. I spent some time on college campuses, and it's just striking to me how frequently arrogance seems to just reek out of people who say, I'm smarter than you because I have a degree or credentials or what have you. I've already told you, I've got no problem with degrees and credentials or any of that stuff. But I think we've all had occasions where we've been around people and we saw what knowledge did to them. It puffed them up. They were very condescending. What you thought, what you had to say was of no importance. In fact, that First Amendment need not even apply to you because after all, I'm pretty much the paragon of all there is to know. I've figured it all out. Knowledge can puff people up. But learning to the point of understanding so that we can share with others, that's a blessing. That's a good thing. That's a humble heart. I, I, I tell our church all the time, we are just beggars telling other beggars where the bread is. It's not, let me tell you what I know. It's, man, you're not going to believe what I just learned. There's quite a difference in that. And this was the heart of, of Ezra. Remember, God never blesses us simply so we can have a blessing. How many of you have been blessed by God in your life? Good, you're here. Most of you are breathing right now. Most of you are aware, you're conscious. Uh, that, that is a small example, but a testimony of God's goodness and blessing in your life. But God never blesses you just so you can hoard those blessings and say, look what I have, stay away, but look what I have. No, no, no. God only and always blesses us so we can take that which we've received and we can go to others and say, hey, I got a blessing. You want some? Let me share this with you. Let me help you with that. I think of Abraham. He was blessed by God. And as the Lord spoke to him in Genesis 12, he said, I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, Abraham, and I'll make your name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. The end game wasn't to puff Abraham up. The end game was to say, hey, Abraham, you've proven to be a man of faith and you are faithful and I'm going to unload into your life blessing and greatness so that you can be a blessing to other people. When we began, I told you Ezra made a huge difference in his nation. May I now share some history with you? This is a dangerous thing to do at this point in the service. I could lose all of you. How many of you say, well, pastor, we'll, we'll tolerate just like three to five minutes of history here. All right, good. Why don't y'all lean, just lean slightly forward to kind of encourage me right now. I want you to lean into this. Ezra made a massive difference in 
in his country. So let, let me give you a little bit of the historical background. In, in 1000 BC, in 1000 BC, King David was ruling Israel. What a king he was. I mean, the standard by which all others were evaluated, incredible king. When, when David died, his son Solomon uh, took the kingdom, and he was wise, certainly, but at the end of his reign, we know that something horrific happened to the nation of Israel. It was divided. A, a civil war of sorts emerges, and what we find is the 12 tribes of which the nation of Israel was comprised, 10 of them uh, went, and they, they were in the north, and they became the northern kingdom of Israel, or common Commonly, as you read the Bible and it says Israel, if it's post this break, it's, it's referring to just the ten tribes in the north. If you're with me so far, say amen. amen. Two tribes remained in the south, the tribe of Benjamin and the tribe of Judah, and, and those in the south were just known as Judah. So we've got one nation of Israel. David did great. Solomon was wise, but had some family troubles at the end. As Solomon dies, the kingdom breaks up, and we've got Israel, and we've got Judah. And those nations live side by side for about 200 years. After about 200 years, we know that the Assyrians attacked those in the north, the nation of Israel. They took them captive. About 150 years after that, we know the Babylonians conquered those in the south, the nation of Judah. Took them captive. A remnant was left behind, but I mean, by and large, they took them captive. It changed everything. For the next 70 years, those who were taken to Babylon lived there in captivity until Cyrus the Great allowed the Jews to return to their home. And, and what's interesting is it's really throughout this era in Israel's history, their worship with God and of God was done in a, in a setting that was called a tabernacle, which was basically a tent, a, a mobile place of worship. And after that, we know the temple was built and worship of God was always done in a place. You came to the place to worship God. But when the Babylonians conquered those in the south, the temple that had been built under the reign of, of King Solomon... It was destroyed. No gathering place as it had been. And when Ezra returned home from exile to Babylon with the temple that had been destroyed, he, he not only brought the scriptures with him, he brought a conviction in his heart that every Jewish person should study and search and, and, and seek in the law of God. That everyone who claimed to be a follower of God, should know the word of God. It was Ezra who organized the priestly tribe of Levi into basically small group leaders, Bible study leaders. And we believe it was Ezra who, who began what came to be known as synagogues. The word synagogue just means the place where we meet. And in the absence of a temple, there are these little Bible studies and communities that emerged. And people would gather together and they would do what Ezra wanted uh, to do in his own life to seek the law of God. By the time Jesus was born 400 years later, the Jews were steeped in Scripture. No, they maybe weren't all the time faithful, but, but in, in, in Jewish communities all throughout that region, people would gather. By the time they were five or six years old, they're in, investing time and studying and searching and seeking the Word of God. Many of them, by the time they're 12 and 13 years old, they had the entire first five books of the, of the Old Testament committed to memory. And all of this goes back to one man who had God's hand on his life because he, he was careful to seek to know the word of God and he sought the word of God with a predetermination. Whatever it is I find God has said, I want to do. 
And as his life was blessed through that obedience, he said, man, I want to share this with others. And he said, I just believe everybody needs to get in the word of God. God's desire for us today is that we would be people of his book. It's in the Bible that we learn of God in the Bible that we learn of his path for our lives, but there's another very important reason for those of us who would claim to be followers of Jesus Christ to be in the word. It's because we all have people in our lives that need it too. It's been said so often, it's cliche, but the reality is Christianity truly is never more than one generation from extinction. All of us have a responsibility from God to share that which we know and which we have learned. You might say, well, pastor, really, when it comes to things of God, I only know very little. Then share the very little you know and keep learning more. You'll be amazed how God can use the heart of someone. Listen, it's not just the head of someone. It's the heart of someone that says, I want to know what God says so that I can do what God says. And then I want to share it with other people. Man, you have that heart, that heart of humility and that heart of hope. You'll be shocked how God can use you the parents this morning i just want to give a special word of encouragement in deuteronomy 11 and verse 19 the bible says and ye shall teach them your children speaking of them when thou sittest in thine house and when thou walkest by the way when thou liest down and when thou risest up the bible teaches that as parents we have a special uh, 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 responsibility in our lives to see that our children come to know and understand the word of god I've been asked to speak a little bit on why it seems so many millennials are leaving the church. And of course, the blame has been placed on the church and there is much blame to be accepted. And there are many reasons for all of this. And that's a conversation for another day. But for parents today, I want to say this. You have the primary responsibility of teaching your children the truth of the word of God. And they will never take serious what you don't take serious. I'm telling you, if you're moderately faithful, your kids will be less so than you and probably not faithful at all. Your kids will not live different than you do if they see an inauthentic life. And so we've got to know what is true so we can share what is true. And if we don't live it, we can speak words all we want. Our kids see us pretty clearly, don't they? They can spot a fraud quicker than anyone. And the thing about home is you can't hide there. The real you comes out. And I think all of us need that heart that says, God, I haven't arrived. I don't know everything. I don't want to be puffed up with a little bit of knowledge I have. But God, I'm so grateful that you did give your word. And that I have the opportunity to seek and search and study. And God, what I'm learning is so good. I I can't even fathom just keeping this to myself. Somebody's got to know this stuff. I want to share what it is that I've learned from you. I heard a story of years ago in England. There was a Shakespearean actor who was known for his one-man show, and he would read uh, portions from various famous plays, and people would come and hear him. He's very well known, and uh, he chose to close every performance with a recitation from the Bible. And the passage of Scripture that he closed every show with was the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. He's known for this. It's how he ended every show. People would always stand and applaud and 
congratulate him on the great performance. As the story goes, there was kind of a meet and greet. That's not the words they use, but I think that's probably the words we'd use today. And, and he met a younger man who expressed his appreciation and ad, admiration for this, this actor and the way he could control a room and, and he could impact people. And, and uh, he said that he especially appreciated the way he concluded with the 23rd Psalm. And, and the man said, uh, you know, I know that Psalm too. It means so much to me. And and as they talked, that young man got the nerve, the audacity to ask the famous actor, would you mind if sometime I could maybe quote the 23rd Psalm? And, and the actor thought that'd be a neat twist to the end of the show. And, and uh, he thought, sure, you can do that. Why don't you do that tonight after the show? Well, the actor was super dynamic and, and uh, very theatrical. And, and as the story goes, this young man, when he got up there, he, with a very soft voice, began to recite the words of the 23rd Psalm. just very humbly, very simply shared the words of the 23rd Psalm. And when he was done, there was no spontaneous applause, no standing ovation. They, they say that most people just sat very still in their seats, lost in their thoughts. They said some others wiped tears away. Just simply shared the 23rd Psalm. Well, the professional was very impressed by what this young man had done. At the end of the show, he asked him, he said, you know, I've studied my whole life and, and uh, I, I want to be the best performer I can be. And man, I saw what you did. It was, it was powerful. It was amazing. Uh, can you tell me, what is your secret? And the young man humbly said, well, sir, you know the psalm, but I know the shepherd. Friends, we need to get in the Word of God, for it's where we can come to know the shepherd and the path he has for us, the life to which he has called. We need to come to the shepherd with an open heart that says, God, whatever you say, that's what I want to do. I'm not reading the Bible looking for a loophole. <laughs> I just want to do what you tell me to do. God, as you bless my life, I don't want to be some guy that's hoarding all these blessings. I want to, I want to share these blessings with whoever I can that's the heart God will use Ezra not much different than we are I was going to say put his pants on one leg at a time but he probably didn't wear pants you know probably some some kind of robe or something but hey he, he was not special in a human sense it was just a heart it said I love God therefore I must love his word and if I love God and love his word I must obey his word and what I learn in the word I, I want to share it with others made a massive impact and you have an impact to make in your life Father, we're very thankful today to open your word and read just a couple verses and take the time to get the sense and to come to understand. God, I pray that you'd help us today to not be professional Christians in the contemporary model that just kind of comes in from time to time and warm a seat and hear a sermon, critique the church on the way home. God, I pray that you'd help us to be fully devoted, authentic followers of Jesus Christ. I pray that we'd see the Bible as a leather-bound edition of Jesus Christ, that we would come to know you in the Word. God, I pray that we would follow you more closely than we ever have, that it would be an ongoing process of development and discipleship as the more we learn, we apply, and we can therefore live it.